a question I ask whenever it snows, especially on a Sunday morning, is why does something that's so beautiful have to be so messy? Like it would be neat if it would, you'd have the beauty and not the mess and the slippery, but you just have to take it all. Um, so it's gorgeous driving in, but then as I'm looking at the parking lot and the roads, I'm thinking, oh man, I hope everybody uh, is safe getting in the building today. And so I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you braved it. I'm glad you got out to your car early and cleaned it off. And if you didn't, you were okay being a few minutes late, so you could clean it off. I'm just glad you're here that we can worship together. I want to start by giving you a series of words. Some of them are pairs of words. And I'm going to say them. It's likely that many of you won't even know how they connect, but maybe a few of you will. And I promise I will will let you know how they connect uh, here in just a few moments. But I just want you to hear them and try to figure out how they connect together. So here are the words. Everest. Mud mile. Those go together. Block nest monster. Not Loch Ness monster. Block nest monster. And pyramid scheme. So there are your words. Uh, How do they go together? Everest, mud mile, block nest monster, and pyramid scheme. Does anybody know what those words share in common? No? You give me that look like, Craig, those are ridiculous words. Like, why are we even talking about this? Well, those words are all the names of obstacles in a team challenge event called the Tough Mudder. They're all obstacles that teams will endure. Have you heard of a Spartan race? Have you heard of a Tough Mudder, any of these things? Okay, so a Spartan race is more of an individual competition, whereas a Tough Mudder is a team-based challenge. In fact, if you go to Tough Mudder's website, they offer 5Ks, 10Ks, 15Ks. Two Harvard business grads designed it uh, as this great activity for teams. They will tell you in the details of the event, do not sign up if you're by yourself. You need to be a part of a team. It's impossible to overcome the obstacles without the help of teams. And even then, you'll need strangers to help you sometimes. It's a team challenge event, and those are the names of obstacles. I'll show you them. Everest. It is a large wall you have to scale that has grease on it and water cascading down it. And here's a picture of a woman trying to make her way up as part of her team. Someone's reaching out to help her. The uh, Mud Mile uh, is, is this muddy series of mounds that you have to traverse with your team. You have to climb over them into the mud pit below and up the other side, and you can't do it alone. The next one, Block Nest Monster. It gets its name because there's a big block in this huge pool of muddy water that you've got to try to figure out how to get over together as a team. And then probably my favorite name is Pyramid Scheme. Here's a picture of it. Uh, we have to be make sure, I'm talking about the figurative one, not the literal one. But um, So here's a team, they've got to all link arms and figure out how they're going to overcome the, the obstacle that is before them. In a tough mutter, the challenges require teamwork. And so as we think about teamwork and kind of have the image maybe of these obstacles and overcoming obstacles together, I want to talk about one essential characteristic or attitude attribute of of teamwork. And that essential attitude or attribute is service. You cannot function as a team unless people serve one another. And it's not just in a tough mutter. Uh, Think about your office or your workplace environment. 
Can you move together as a team unless there are times when each individual is willing to bring themselves low, to enter the the muck and mire, if you will, to help other people overcome obstacles that stand in the way of the organization or their duties um, to achieving victory, to achieving what success is in that business? Uh, Think about school. Those of you that are students, like think about group projects, like... (laughs) Like, there's a, usually a collective sigh when you talk about group projects. Everyone that's been in a group project knows that usually one or two people do all the work. It's not teamwork at all. But the good, great group projects happen when teams come together and someone serves and this person does their role well and that person does their role well. Think about a sports team. It requires teamwork, someone willing to serve. Even think about the game of basketball for a moment. The willingness of someone who has the ball not to have to have the shot but instead to serve the other by passing the ball, by, by setting a screen so someone can get open. All that involves some small acts of service. Service is essential. It sustains teamwork. Maybe you think about your homeowners association. It requires teamwork marked by service. And if people are just looking out for themselves and they're not willing to serve, chances are there's going to be controversy, there's going to be chaos. Service sustains teamwork. When it comes to the kingdom of God, the same is true. Service sustains people moving towards God's best for our world. In fact, I would say it this way. You cannot experience the kingdom of God apart from service. Now, some of you may say, oh, Craig, that's not true. I experienced the kingdom of God by the grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And here's what I would say to you is that is an act of service. What did the Son of Man say he came to do? What did Jesus say he came to do? The Son of Man say, he, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, not to say, hey, everybody do stuff for me, but he came to serve. And what does that service look like? to give his life as a ransom for many. We have an obstacle that stands between us as human beings and the life that God intends for us. And that obstacle is sin and that obstacle is brokenness. And if there's not someone that helps us over that obstacle, we don't get to experience the fullness of life. And that someone is Jesus. And so we cannot experience the kingdom of God. We cannot experience the life that God intends for each one of us apart from service. It is essential to our experience of the kingdom of God. Jesus brought himself low. He entered the muck and the mire of our temptation, of our brokenness. He made him, came in human flesh, made himself vulnerable as a man to lift us up as we trust in him. And the heart of the good news is not just the life that we inherit forevermore when we die, but it's the life we get to inherit in the present as Jesus fills us with his power and with his spirit and allows us to experience life as he intends. And that only takes place because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We launched this strategic plan of pursue uh, now three Sundays ago. And we said that over the next three years, our church is going to grow to be more intentional in our pursuit of Jesus, pursuing Jesus, our pursuit of one another, pursuing one another, both in our church community and in our community and world. And our church is going to be more intentional about pursuing our purpose. And so we're spending the first few weeks, the first months of this year, actually, looking at each of those components, pursue Jesus, pursue one another, pursue our purpose. And so right now we're exploring this idea of what does it look like to pursue Jesus? Jesus. 
What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, following him, living for him, trying to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God? Well, part of it's driven by his word. It's driven by prayer we looked at last week. But another characteristic of a pursuit of Jesus is that we are men and women, young and old, across generations, who are learning what it looks like to serve even as Jesus served. You can go to the upper room before Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he washes his disciples' feet and he tells them, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Serve each other. A characteristic of people who are pursuing Jesus is that we're becoming more and more servants of others, not just for the sake of, of serving, but for the sake of helping them experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. We want to be people who help eliminate obstacles, large and small. We want to eliminate the Everest the mud miles, the blockness monsters, the pyramid schemes, as well as the small obstacles that stand in front of people. They keep them from experiencing the fullness of life as God intends. And so that's what I want to explore this morning uh, in the book of Acts. We're journeying through the book of Acts. If you're new to Lebanon Christian Church, if you're watching online and you're new, we started this series in early September and it'll continue through Easter and even on into the first part of May. Uh, We'll be looking in the entire book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter six today, looking at service as with any of these messages, as we look at pursuing Jesus and pursuing God's best, we could turn to a number of places in scripture because these messages are consistent in God's story from beginning to end. Uh, Just a couple hints as you find Acts chapter six. Uh, Think about the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam and Eve are created. Uh, They're called to fill the earth and subdue it. Beneath that is this idea of service. They'll go into the world. They'll subdue it on behalf of God. They will be serving him. Think about Noah. He's called by God to build an ark. That that is an act of service. Think about Abraham, who is called by God to leave everything that he knows and to move to a land he has never been to that God would bless the world through him. That is is service. Think about Abraham, uh, Abraham listening to God's instructions about sacrificing his son Isaac. That's service. You can look at the role of the prophets called to serve God. The kings, they were supposed to be serving God. We look at the example of Jesus. Service is all throughout God's story. And it's supposed to be the characteristic of those who are intentionally pursuing his life in this world and the world to come. And Acts chapter 6 gives us a window into this very same thing and gives us uh, just some insight in what it should look like to pursue Jesus through service. We're going to read verses one through seven, and then we're going to go back and move through them a little more slowly. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith, that is, faith in Jesus. 
So let's look at verse one. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. What are those days? Well, those days are what's been described in the first five chapters of Acts leading up to this. Those days when the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and not just what it means for you when you die, but the good news of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do, in those days when that's being proclaimed by the apostles, by the 12, when people are, are leaving their, 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 their other life pursuits to follow Jesus, when Peter and, and John are, are healing men at the gate called Beautiful, and there's controversy among religious leaders, it's in those days and in those days, something else is happening. The number of disciples was increasing. Again, you can't read chapters one through five of Acts without seeing this, this incredible increase in the number of people that are joining this Jesus movement. Um, maybe if you were here in the fall, you can remember back to our School of Acts series. We had a whole message on the math of the kingdom. In the math of the kingdom, we see addition in the book of Acts. Uh, we go from... You know, 12, and we end up with 120. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, thousands are being added uh, to the number of disciples. You move on into Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, and there's thousands more. We get this exponential increase. So this movement of Jesus followers, even in persecution, is, is growing rapidly. And that creates a small problem. And here's the problem. The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So here's the problem. Widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Why is that a problem? We're told that these are Hellenistic Jews complaining against Hebraic Jews. Both of these groups of people are Jewish Christians. They have backgrounds in Jew Judaism. They, they had followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Hellenistic Jews, it refers to their language. They're Greek-speaking Jews. In fact, some of your Bibles may even say the Greek-speaking Jews. When um, Judaism was growing following captivity, uh, there was a dispersion of Jews uh, throughout the Roman world. And so some people grew up in Greek-speaking regions as faithful Jewish people, and they've come to know Jesus. So these are Greek-speaking Jewish disciples of Jesus and Aramaic or Hebrew-speaking Jewish disciples of Jesus. Greek-speaking Christians, Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Christians, and there is a problem. The Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews say, listen, our widows are being neglected. And here's why that's a huge problem. They're Jewish people. They know the law of Moses. When you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what we would call the Torah, the instructions of God to Moses, or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they speak overwhelmingly about the the need for widows to be cared for. Widows need to be looked after. Widows need to be provided for because widows were vulnerable with no one to provide for them, no one to care for them. It was the, the, the charge of the community to look after them. And if widows are being neglected, that's a big deal according to the law of Moses. But it's not just the law of Moses. The, the Psalms speak about the need for widows to be taken care of. The prophets proclaim the need for widows to be taken care of. Jesus provides an example of widows being cared for. He highlights the example of a widow in the temple courts giving her offering. He, he highlights in a, in a lesson on persistent prayer the plight of a widow. 
James, probably the half-brother of Jesus, writes in James about this is religion that God our Father finds pure and faultless. It's to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Widows are important to God. And so all these Hellenistic Jewish believers, these Hebraic Jewish believers, they all understand that widows are important to God, but what's happening? Some of the widows are being neglected, and that's the problem. You may say, well, Craig, why, why were they being neglected? Here's the truthful answer. We don't know. People make guesses. It's likely that in Jerusalem and Judea, there were fewer Hellenistic Jewish believers, fewer Greek-speaking Jewish believers, so they had probably less of a voice. Every, every commentator, every scholar I read, every study Bible I looked at said the same thing. This is a problem of rapid church growth. Disciples are increasing, the number of widows is increasing, and it just happens that those who are more of a minority get missed in the process. It's not malicious. The word complaint occurs here, but it's not in a term of, of like a negative use. It's not like there's intentional or malicious neglect by, by the believers towards the Hellenistic Jewish widows. It's just Things are growing and people are being missed, but that's the problem because widows matter to God. So what do the people do? We have a problem. They come together to find a solution. One of the things I want to observe in this and I want you to see is that, again, we are talking about all disciples of Jesus, whether they are Hellenistic Jews or Hebraic Jews. In this case, they are all disciples of Jesus. Even the word, the 12 shows up here, referring to the 12 um, you know, leaders of the people. You may recall that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the life of Jesus, that we learn about these 12 disciples. Um, Peter, Andrew, James, John. There's another James. Uh, Simon the Zealot. We have Philip. We have Thomas. We have Bartholomew. We have Thaddeus. We have Nathaniel. And we have Judas. I was worried I was going to forget one of them. <laughs> Judas betrays Jesus hangs himself. We get to Acts chapter one. We need one more disciple, one more that has been with Jesus since the beginning is the part of the criteria. So they find Matthias. And so now there are 12 and they are the leaders. They've been with Jesus from the beginning. They have walked with him. They're talking like him. They're sharing his words. And so they're leading their disciples and they're leading all these other disciples. Everyone in this account is a disciple of Jesus. The word disciple features prominently, verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. Verse 7, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. That word disciple comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is methetes, and I'm not expecting you to remember that. But that word has to do with being an apprentice, a pupil, a learner. It was used in a variety of contexts in the Greco-Roman world. But in the context of people following Jesus, it refers to someone who is intentionally striving to apprentice to Jesus. What does an apprentice want to do? They want to be like the one they're learning from. That's why they work alongside of them to learn the trade. These are men and women, whether they have Greek-speaking background, Aramaic and Hebrew-speaking background, who are striving to be like Jesus. They are pursuing Jesus. They're pursuing his life. They're committed to his words. They're committed to his ways. And so what do they do? They say, okay, let's get some advice. Let's go to the 12th. Let's go to the men that walked with Jesus. They've been with him since the beginning. Let's see what they have to say. And so here's the counsel of the 12, beginning in verse two. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together, Greek speaking, Hebraic, uh, Aramaic, Hebrew speaking, and here's what they tell them. 
It would not be right for us to neglect, in the original language, the word ministry is not there, just to neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The problem, widows are being neglected. The 12, what are we going to do about it? Probably more like, what are you going to do about it? And what's the 12's response? Guys, listen, there, there are way too many things to get done here. It would not be right for us to leave the work of the word of God, to set it aside to now figure out this food distribution stuff. It wouldn't be right for us to leave the word behind to serve by waiting on tables. And that word wait on tables there that we have translated into multiple words is a Greek word, diakonia, which is where we get our word deacon from. It's someone who brings themselves low to help other people overcome obstacles and challenges. Wouldn't be right for us to leave the word to wait on people in this way, to serve people in this way. So what's the solution? We need you guys to serve these physical needs, to help these widows overcome challenges. These obstacles, the obstacle of not being able to eat, that stands in the way of the widows experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. They can't experience life in the full when they are starving. And so you have to help them overcome this challenge. We need people to serve them. Here's your criteria. Find seven men who have these characteristics. And what do the disciples say they're going to do? Sorry, the 12. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer. And in the original language, it does say the word ministry here, but actually it's not in English. It has the word diakoneo. You say, Craig, why is that important? The disciples in the previous verse say, it wouldn't be right for us to set aside the word to serve tables. Instead, you'll find people to serve the tables while we serve the word. The disciples aren't saying, the 12 aren't saying that spiritual needs are more important than physical needs. They're not saying that physical needs are more important than spiritual needs. They're saying, listen, we are disciples of Jesus pursuing Jesus, and so guess what? We all have to do our part. While you serve the tables, we will continue to serve people with the word of God. Both help people overcome the challenges they face. Both help people experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. If the, if the 12 said, listen, sorry, we're gonna stop sharing with people the good news about Jesus, Sure, widows could have been fed, but what happens to other people overcoming the challenge of their sin and their brokenness and missing out on the life that God has for them? That comes to a halt. But what happens if they say, nope, sorry, that doesn't matter. We're just gonna keep telling people about who Jesus is. Well, there are people who have these physical barriers that keep them from knowing him. Both the spiritual and the physical needs are important and it's, a, it's, it's the job of all the disciples, whether they are the 12 or the others, to serve, to help eliminate the challenges that stand in the way of people experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's what's at play in Acts chapter six. Disciples of Jesus are growing rapidly, but there are problems that arise. And, and, and when you know it, the same thing still happens today. There are challenges around every corner for every single one of us that sometimes can keep us or those that we care about from experiencing the fullness of life that God intends for them. And how will we address it? the same way God's people have always addressed it. We will be men and women as we pursue Jesus who choose to serve. 
We choose to enter the muck and the mire. We choose to identify the obstacles that stands in the way. Maybe it's Everest. Maybe it's Mud Mile. Maybe it's a pyramid scheme. Maybe it's Block Nest Monster. Maybe it's something else. And, and we help people overcome the challenge by serving them, by laying aside our wants, our ambitions, our dreams for the sake of him and for the sake of their experience of the kingdom of God. Are those the type of men and women that will be? And I want you to see the results. I want you to see the victory that follows. As they do this, as they encounter this hurdle and this obstacle and they address it through service, look at what happens, verse seven. Once again, the word of God spreads and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And wouldn't you know it that some of the religious leaders who had yet to accept Jesus become obedient to the faith. Like the world is being changed because people are pursuing Jesus, not just through his word, not just through prayer, but because they're serving Will we be men and women, if you're a disciple of Jesus, who willingly serve? One of the things that amazes me about the Apostle Paul is that when you read his letters, more than anything else that he identifies himself as, more than that of an apostle, he'll say he's an apostle on a number of occasions, but more than anything else, do you know how Paul identifies himself? I am a servant, I am a slave. Like at the core of Paul's identity was that he was a servant. At the core of your identity, do you view yourself as a servant or a slave? Like would you, would you buy that t-shirt? Would you wear it? Would someone else buy it for you? Are you willing to serve and, and, and follow the example of Jesus that you would not be here to be served, but to serve and to give your life for the kingdom of God? And here's why this is so important. We live in a world where this is completely countercultural. When you think about our Western world, when you think about the American context, when we view success, when we view like the epitome of having arrived and the best life ever, usually it's this picture of you're no longer doing the servant stuff, but you're paying people to do that for you. Like, like the more people you can hire to mow your grass, to clean your house, to make your food, to clean your car, like, like the more that you can afford that, the more successful you are in Western eyes, in American eyes. And thinking even about how we reward those who are part of service industries. In a restaurant, who gets paid the least? Often your waitresses, and your waiters, and your dishwashers those busing tables. When it comes to serving in our communities, who often gets paid the least? The people picking up trash? The people driving around at ungodly hours in police cars to protect you? The people running into your home to put out a fire? Like built and hardwired into our culture is that we devalue service by what we compensate and even by what we look at is how we promote in businesses. Because our whole world is built on like, no, the epitome of life is not in serving, it's in being served. But what does Jesus say? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So as followers of Jesus, one of the ways that he transforms us from the inside out is he makes us people who willingly serve. We look for obstacles. We look for challenges that people need help overcoming that are keeping them from experiencing the fullness of God. And sometimes those are physical challenges. Sometimes it's about feeding people. Sometimes it's about getting them clean water. Sometimes it's about giving them a shelter. Sometimes it's about taking children in foster care and fostering them. And, and sometimes it's about adopting children. 
Sometimes it's about being in the grocery store and seeing someone struggling in their mobile um, you know, chair. They can't reach the top shelf and just having the eyes to see and the willingness to say, you know what, can I help you? Sometimes just stopping to, to have the conversation with the person who just needs someone to listen to them. Well, we are surrounded by people who face challenges. Yes, we face challenges. But we also need to be men and women who look out to see the challenges others face that keep them from experiencing the fullness of the life that God intends. And it's not just physical needs, it's spiritual needs. There are people all around us every day who lack the hope that we possess. Will we have the ears to hear? Will we have the courage to speak as Jesus would with grace and truth, both of them in tension, and to speak into someone's life? And when they're wrestling with, with challenges and they're struggling, would we have the courage to speak and help them see how God can change those circumstances for them, how he can change their experience of those circumstances? Will we be men and women, young and old, who look into our families today and say, where can I serve? Where are those barriers, large and small, who are keeping someone from experiencing the fullness of God in his kingdom? Will we be men and women who look into our church, this community of believers, and say, where are the gaps? Where are the holes? Where are the challenges? What, what, what are the limitations that are keeping people from experiencing the fullness of God? How can I use my life, my gifts, and leverage them for the king and his kingdom? Will we be men and women, young and old, who look into our community and say, where are the gaps? Where are the holes? Where are the challenges? Where are the places where someone's circumstances, someone's experience, someone's difficulties keep them from seeing the God who loves them and cares about them? And will we work to serve them and eliminate that? Will we do the hard work of looking for those opportunities, the courageous work of organizing our calendars, building in margin to come alongside and serve other people in need? Will we recognize that living life in this kingdom of God is about teamwork sustained by service? And we together run this race with perseverance. Dean shared those verses. We fix our eyes on him. And we move forward with a heart of service, pursuing Jesus together. Uh, before I close, I, I do want to uh, lean into one more thing that I think is directly related to service in the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and that is the, the idea of sanctity of human life. There's a direct connection between our service for God and our understanding of the value of human life. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It falls exactly on the anniversary. Uh, January 22nd has been set aside to celebrate the value of human life in the church in the United States of America. It's something that got started when Roe v. Wade was passed. We know that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. But there's still a dynamic call in our world to see the value of human life. And so that Sunday is set aside to champion the value of every human life, from the unborn child in the womb uh, to the mother who's contemplating terminating that pregnancy to the person who lives next door to you to the elderly person in the assisted living facility in a long-term care facility to the person facing mental health challenges. It's a call to see the value in every human life. Service requires us to see the value in every human life. You will not serve people unless you see that they're valuable. Unless you see that they matter to their maker. And they matter to their creator. And so we have to get that right before we ever move into service. Will we see the value of every human life from inside the womb all the way to their deathbed? Uh, the fancy way it's said is from the womb to the tomb. 
If we're looking to eliminate challenges, if we're looking to be people who pursue Jesus in service, we should be wanting to serve the unborn child in the womb by championing its life and its value. We should want to serve that mother, young or old, who's contemplating terminating that pregnancy because she needs someone to show her what is true and what is real and, and what matters for her inside her body, but also what matters for her life and how God has made her and the options that are available. We need to be willing to serve them. We need to serve people who are oppressed and marginalized and, and people who are, are vulnerable. Will, will, will we be a church who sees the value in human life and let that just catalyze us to be people who pursue Jesus through service? And I want to be about it. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want God to foster that in us, that we would see the value and we would move to eliminate obstacles, pursuing him and serving one another. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the powerful, challenging witness of your disciples uh, that we see in Acts 6. And God, would you take that and would you enhance that by the example of your son? Would you encourage us from the cloud of witness and the rest of Scripture? to choose to be men and women who pursue you and experience your best in the kingdom by helping others experience your best in the kingdom. Father, we trust you. We look to you. We need you. Guide us in this. Amen. Will you stand with us? Let's sing out with this. This is our benediction.